welcome to the first episode of the Duval Pride Podcast. My name is Josh Matty, and I'm your host. I wanted to start this first episode off with just a quick intro for the podcast itself. Uh, so what is this podcast about? This podcast, really simply put, is about the Jacksonville Jaguars and being a fan of the Jacksonville Jaguars. That can be a tough thing, as we've all experienced over the past decade and a half or so, but I wanted to bring my thoughts and different breakdowns of the news, stats, players, coaches for the team, because it is a passion of mine, even though uh, they have brought so much misery to us over the past several years. Um, This is a team that I have been a fan of for my entire adult life, and I can't imagine being a fan of any other team. A quick note on when we plan to post new episodes. I do want to try to get new episodes up every Wednesday for this podcast. It may come a little later some weeks uh, than other weeks, but I do try to want to try to get those episodes up uh, each Wednesday for you guys to listen through. So to introduce the first episode of this podcast, I'm going to title this episode, A Tale of a Jaguars Fan, Agony, Anger, and Apathy. Agony is the first phase, and that encompasses everything from Tom Coughlin to Jack Del Rio. Anger is the second phase. That encompasses everything after Del Rio. So Gus Bradley, Doug Marone, Urban Meyer, leading up to apathy, which is kind of where we are now, and the future of the Jaguars. Diving right into the first topic of this episode, which I'm calling the agony period of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Before we get into the topic itself, I just want to give a brief kind of history of myself. I was born in 1987, and I've lived in the Jacksonville area for basically my entire life. In 1993, Jacksonville was awarded at the NFL franchise, as you know, after some delays and some hand-wringing by all the folks who wanted to make sure that we got a team. But in the end, we were awarded the team. It was at that moment when that announcement came across the television that I became a fan. Kind of unknowingly, I became a fan, I'll say. I remember distinctly my dad kind of jumping up and down in our living room being really excited and I didn't know what for I didn't know what the announcement was actually about or anything that was really going on at the time and then the next day I remember getting the Florida Times Union and seeing the big picture of Wayne Weaver being excited in the announcement that we had gotten the team in Jacksonville so from there Going to Jaguar games in the 
inaugural season, my aunt bought season tickets and she lent them to me and my dad whenever they didn't want to go. And just those experiences as a child with my dad are some of the greatest memories I have, even to this date. I remember one game in particular, and I, I don't recall the exact season, but we are playing the Steelers on a Monday night football game. And I remember my dad and I sitting in the seats with a Steelers fan on my side as well in the seat next to me and I remember we won that game the Steelers were one of those teams we always seemed to be able to beat even in our first season we won that game and I remember me as a little six seven year old kid just jumping up and down and kind of trash talking the Steelers fan as they were just kind of didn't know how to react to losing to the Jaguars. So this brings me into the first topic, which is what I call the agony period of the Jaguars. And I call it the agony period just because it was very difficult seeing them be so good, so consistently good, and yet not quite get there so many times. Whether it was the 1996 AFC Championship run where this little upstart, barely two-year-old franchise managed to take down the mighty Buffalo Bills who had just come off of four consecutive Super Bowl appearances and retire Jim Kelly and Marv Levy and then go on to Denver and take down the vaunted Denver Broncos and John Elway and then have it all slip away against the Patriots the next week. I still remember Natron Means and that fumble late in that game. It just felt like that was the air coming out of the city. And then flash forward to 99, when we were the most dominant team in football. Nobody could touch us except those hated Tennessee Titans. I can't stand Tennessee to this day for that very reason. This team was so fast to become great in our eyes. I don't think I've ever heard of a franchise starting off so quickly, getting success so quickly. And then it all kind of went downhill from there. With Coughlin transitioning to Del Rio, we kind of saw with Del Rio more mediocrity than anything else. And not to say that that's a bad thing. I think any Jaguar fan right now would take the Del Rio years over what we've gone through the past decade or so. But compared to 
the years with Coughlin and constantly being a playoff contender or a playoff team to struggling to keep your head above water at 500 every year was just kind of a shock to the system. Transitioning to talking about some of the good memories from that agony period, I call it. Whenever I think of good memories from that time, I can only go back to the players. There were so many good players during that time. Whether it's Tony Vaselli, who should be a Hall of Famer, and I hope one day real soon he will be. To Mark Brunell, kind of coming out of nowhere, a, a trade to this team, and taking the reins as our first franchise quarterback. Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCardle, Thunder and Lightning, giving us something to be excited about on offense. James Stewart being our first really good running back. Natron Means, he was just a crazy big guy who could run anybody over, but he was still a fantastic running back. And then my favorite player of all time for this team, Fred Taylor. I loved everything about Fred Taylor. He was such a good running back, so consistent. Injuries bit him a few times, but I don't hold that against him. I think he was still one of the best players this team has ever had. From the Del Rio years, of course, you talk about guys like Mojo and... It's the first time I remember a running back being that small but that impactful. I don't think we've ever really seen that in the NFL. Mercedes Lewis, still to this day, is a Jaguar. I don't care if he's wearing Green Bay colors now. He'll always be a Jaguar. I hope, beyond hope, that when he does decide to actually retire... He will come back, sign that one-day contract, and retire at Jaguar because this is where he belongs. Daryl Smith is one of my most underrated players in Jaguar history, maybe NFL history. Daryl Smith was so consistent. He was always where he needed to be as a linebacker. He was always making plays, and nobody ever talked about him. He was one of my favorite players. What can you say about Stroud and Henderson? Man, them guys were a terror for any offensive line to have to face. I still think back to that video of Henderson getting slapped in the locker room before the game. And just like, that guy was a crazy man. But he was so good. And so was Stroud. Stroud was not as outspoken as Big Henderson, but... He was still so tough on that defensive line. Kevin Hardy, I used to do that sack dance all the time. Hardy was just a great player, great linebacker, great leader for this team. Donovan Darius, double D, holding up the back end on that defense. Man, he was so good, so fast, so talented, always was at where he needed to be on the field. 
Rasheen Mathis, just beyond being a great football player, the best corner this team has ever had, he was a great leader off the field and a great example of what the NFL should be as far as players. He, he really cared about this community and you could tell in everything that he did. There were just so many great players from that era. Uh, too many to name, but so many great players. So now we transition to topic number two, which I'm going to call the anger period. So this is really from the start of the malarkey time frame. And I know malarkey was only here for one year, but that season kind of set up where the Jaguars were going to go for the next decade plus. And I don't blame Malarkey for it. I think he was doing the best with what he had. What I do blame that first season on was just the terrible draft picks. And that seems to be, have become a theme for this team. Transitioning into Gus Bradley. Gus was a coach everybody loved. Everybody wanted him to be successful. He was a great guy. Kind of guy you want to go have a beer with. Kind of guy that could motivate you to run through a brick wall. But whether it was just the the bad decisions on the personnel side, the bad decisions in the draft, it never seemed to click for Bradley. And that's partially on Dave Caldwell, too, as being the GM during that time. They never made good decisions anywhere in the draft, anywhere in free agency. They're spending a lot of money and not getting any results from it. Moving into... Doug Marone and what I thought was kind of us coming out of the darkness a little bit obviously that first season in 2017 was such a great run I my dad and me followed it all the way to Pittsburgh and I still to this day believe that Miles Jack was not down but it all came apart, and we'll talk about those things more in depth here in a second. But, man, that was such a great season. And to see it all fall apart right afterwards, as we've seen in the past with the Jaguars, was just so disheartening. Finally, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Urban Meyer. In our last agonizing season, once again, being the worst team in the NFL. I had high hopes for Urban. I thought he was going to be exactly what this team needed, exactly what this franchise needed. Somebody could come in here and just change the culture. Make everybody be accountable for what they're, they should be accountable for. 
But unfortunately, when you come into an organization and you don't have any sense of accountability yourself, that does not resonate. You preaching accountability when you're not going to be responsible for the things you have to be responsible for, namely your own conduct, your own actions in and out of that building. It just doesn't fly with guys in the NFL. Why should I be accountable for my actions if the guy in in the front of the franchise, the guy leading the franchise is not going to be accountable himself? I'm talking about, again, some of the players from this era. So many bad decisions, again, to name. But just thinking about some of the the main ones that were the hardest to deal with and hardest to kind of watch bring this franchise down. Uh, Blaine Gabbert. I have no doubt that Blaine Gabbert could have been a great player. I think he was thrown into a situation here where he really didn't have a whole lot of help. He was probably drafted way too high. There was no real reason to trade up for Blaine Gabbert. And ultimately, Gabbert is just an example of a GM and Gene Smith who didn't do player evaluations all that well, taking a reach on a quarterback who needed some development time and got thrown into a situation he wasn't ready for. Moving on to the other quarterbacks who kind of highlighted this time frame for the Jaguars. Obviously, the next name that comes to mind is Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles was the ultimate Duval player. Everybody wanted to see him succeed. Everybody wanted to see him be great in this league. And I think in his second season when he broke all of Burnell's records as a quarterback um, for passing records and for this team's history, I think we all thought, okay, this is the guy. This is finally we found our great quarterback. Finally we found kind of our Peyton Manning, so to speak. But Bortles' problem was always consistency. It was always, even in that second season when he was so great statistically, it was always kind of an up and down. Transition from Bortles to Nick Foles. Nick Foles isn't even worth talking about. They gave him a lot of money and he never did anything. Transitioning from Foles to... Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is even more Duval than Bortles. Minshew is a guy who's never going to give you less than 110%. He's never going to be slouching. He's never going to take a play off. And I really liked Minshew. And I kind of thought that he might be serviceable. But again, he is the kind of quarterback that is hampered by different things. He's not very big. He doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. Uh, 
So you have to make the right decisions around him to make him good. And unfortunately, the Jaguars have just never been able to do that. Other players during this era, of course, I'm going to talk about the big three. Fournette, Ramsey, and Ngakwe. And all three of those guys were guys that Tom Coughlin signed off on as the vice president of football operations when he was here. And all three of those guys were unceremoniously dismissed from the team, whether by trades or by, in Fournette's case, just by outright releasing him for nothing. All three of those guys are obviously elite caliber players. The Ramsey situation is one that I think highlights just how bad this franchise has fallen. How far they've come from being, again, that upstart, instant success franchise back in the 90s to a franchise that basically gets punked by their first round pick. He he sat out with, and I'm doing air quotes right now, a backache for two weeks until he got himself traded. And that sets such a precedence for future draft picks to do the same thing. And we saw it again with Ngakwe. We saw what happens when you let that kind of thing go. Ngakwe forced his way out. And I know that's happening around the league right now. Thinking about players like Le'Veon Bell. But two examples on the same franchise within a relatively short period of one another just shows you players know they can get away with it because there's nothing the franchise can do to stop it. And it shows you just what condition the franchise is in. They're a franchise that has elite players that could make them really great. But they can't hold on to them. Same thing with Fournette. Fournette never had a bad word to say about their organization. They just didn't want to deal with him anymore. And that's so telling. Why do you not want to have great players? Moving on to our third topic, which I'm calling apathy. And I call it apathy because there came a point in the last couple seasons as the Jaguars were playing themselves into a first overall pick two years in a row. Where even the most diehard fans got to a point where, why should I care about this anymore? Me being a season ticket holder 
started to ask the question to myself, why should I continue to pay my hard-earned money to go watch this team when I can do it for free from my couch? And I think this is the kind of feeling that is set in amongst even the most diehard fans. Where is this team going? Where is this franchise going to go from here? Why is this so difficult? And I think that question goes back to Shot Khan. You know, everyone thought, okay, this is the turning point. After having to fire Urban Meyer, after he kicked Josh Lambeau, or after that story came out that he kicked Josh Lambeau, we finally thought, okay, let's play out the rest of this season, and let's move forward with a new organization, a new leadership at the top, clean house in that front office, clean house on that coaching staff, get some new blood in here that isn't impacted by all the past. And yet, when he has this opportunity, Shad Khan, instead of taking it, decides, nope, I'll just shirk my responsibilities again. It goes back to the thing that Urban Meyer was supposed to start, was supposed to rebuild here in Jacksonville accountability and regardless of what you think about owners and their franchises I'm here to tell you that owners have an accountability to the fans the fans are what make the NFL go if they didn't have us they wouldn't be out there playing. They wouldn't have their big fancy stadiums. They wouldn't have anything. The owners have a responsibility to put a good product on the field so that the fans continue to come watch it. The ticket sales and the TV money is what drives this league. Shad Khan continuously shirks that responsibility. He leaves it to other people to make these decisions. For once, he needs to step up. He needs to clean house. He needs to make these these responsible decisions so that this team can move forward. That starts with Trent Balky. Why is he still here? He's a dying fossil of an old regime that did nothing for this franchise. So why are we continuing to allow him to be the GM? Why are we continuing to allow him to make the decisions for the future of this franchise? That old adage goes continuing to do the same thing over and over and expecting a different result 
is the definition of insanity. The Jaguars franchise is insane right now. They think trotting out Trent Baalke and Bill O'Brien or Byron Leftwich or Jim Caldwell or Doug Peterson or Matt Eberflus as your head coach is going to change anything. It's not all doom and gloom, though, for the Jaguars as we move forward. We have a great young quarterback. And regardless of what this past season looked like, he is something special. And he needs to be surrounded by talent that's going to accentuate that specialness that he has. Now, I'm going to probably do a breakdown episode where I break down position by position, player by player, this team as it stood at the end of this season. And where the Jaguars can make improvements, we all know some of those obvious spots. But where they can make improvements and where they should go from there. But I just want to do a quick kind of rundown of what I feel like are some building blocks for the team going forward. Starting out on offense, obviously Trevor Lawrence. I think that is the most essential building block. You don't win in this league without a good quarterback. Trevor's got all the tools in the toolkit. He needs help. He needs to continue working on his game. There are subtle flaws. Things he can do better. But I'm not worried at all about where we are with the quarterback. Wide receivers, obviously DJ Chark, I hated to see him go down so early in the season and especially being in this franchise year. We'll talk more about him in a later episode, but I think DJ Chark could be a building block. I'm just not sure that we hold on to him, unfortunately. Laquan Treadwell. That doesn't sound like a building block, but I think it is. I think Treadwell showing me what he showed me in these last few weeks, the last really half of the season for the Jaguars, tells me that he could be a good piece for us going forward when coupled with a true number one receiver. Robinson and ETN. I put in ETN here because we just don't know what he is. We haven't seen him yet. And James Robinson is legit. I hope he gets back in time to begin next season on time. But who knows? Hopefully from there we can get a good look at ETN as well next season. Offensive line... 
really the only person I'm going to call out as a potential building block is Cam Robinson. I think Cam took a huge step forward this season. And I really hope they re-sign him. Whether that's franchise tagging him or getting him on a long-term deal, I hope they bring him back. On defense, you know, the most obvious person here is Josh Allen. But I need to see more out of him. I think that first season in 2017 was a great year for him because he had so much around him. Whether it's Calais Campbell or Ngakwe, he really had a lot of help along that defensive line. And it really allowed him to stand out. Well, we don't need him to just stand out when he has help around him. We need him to be the leader. We need him to be a great player all the time for us on defense. Miles Jack, I think, has blossomed into the most solid player on the team right now. He has experience. He's He has speed. And he knows what he's doing now. And I feel real confident that he's going to be a good building block going forward for this team. In the secondary, they have some promising young players. Tyson Campbell. Man, this kid is so good. He just needs to learn how to play the ball in the air. I don't... I've never played football at a high level. But... I don't know how difficult it is for a corner to just react to the ball. He's got everything you want in a corner. He just has to learn how to play the ball better. Rudy Ford, as we saw, is great in zone defense. Maybe his focus this offseason should be Getting yourself better in that man coverage situation. Hopefully from there he can really become a really standout player for us. Andre Sisko. I was so looking forward to him when they drafted him this season. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see a whole lot of him. But I I still have hopes that he could be a a legit building block for this team going forward. Specialist Logan Cook is one of the greatest punters in the NFL right now. I hate saying that a punter is a building block, but that's where we are right now. Jamal Agnew. I put him on the specialist category just because that's what he should be. You should not be having to use Jamal Agnew as a wide receiver. If you've made the right decisions in that group. So that you don't have to use him as a wide receiver. I think we got over our skis a little bit with him this season. He had some flashy plays, whether it was the 109-yard kick return against the Cardinals. 
or the couple kickoff touchdowns he had. He needs open space. He needs to be a special teamer. He needs to be a full-time kick returner, full-time punt returner. He doesn't need to be on offense. Maybe in packages, but he doesn't need to be an every-down wide receiver. In conclusion, I just wanted to thank everybody who listens to this for listening to it. This is a brand new podcast and something I'm really, really hopeful gets off the ground and gets some following. Uh, It's something I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about this team. I love the Jaguars. I love everything about them. I hate where they are right now. But that's not going to dissuade me from being a fan. Please, please, please like, subscribe, rate this podcast as much as you can on whatever platform you're listening on. It's available everywhere. That'll help get me some followers. It'll help get me some more listeners. And that's always a good thing. It just helps this thing grow. If you really like this podcast and you would be so considerate as to help me support it. I do have a Patreon account set up. It is available via the link in this uh, episode title. So please, if you feel so inclined, um, drop a few bucks my way and help me continue to do this podcast. In closing, once again... Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again next week.